A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Kei te whakaronga mai koe ki tō tātou au hurihuri. He hotake pāna ki te putaiau, te taiau, me te kaupapa o te ora. You're with our changing rule on Radio New Zealand National. And now we go from thinking globally about climate change to acting locally. A new international study just published has revealed that although most people around the world are aware of climate change, they don't necessarily think it's a serious threat. That's not the case for the small communities dotted around Blueskin Bay, just north of Dunedin. For almost a decade, they've been talking about what to do in the face of threats such as climate change. And as Alison discovers when she catches up with some of the residents, they've been doing a lot more than just talk. All of the communities around Blueskin Bay have been drawn into what is really quite an exciting project. After the flood in Waitati in 2006 small group of people got together and said, look, this is no good, we need to look after ourselves. And as a result, started to do a number of things that would support the sustainability of their community. What kind of things? Everything from ensuring that it was possible to get in and out of town easily by um, having an arrangement with neighbours to float you in and out, but also looking at how to ensure that the place could be made secure in the event of rising sea levels or really bad weather. Filmmaker Ross Johnston is a long-time Blueskin Bay resident. For the past five years, he's been one of the trustees of the Blueskin Resilient Communities Trust, or BRCT. The trust was born out of a visioning workshop and community engagement project held in response to those devastating 2006 floods. Biologist Craig Marshall is the current chair of the BRCT, and he says the small Blueskin Bay community which includes about a 1,000 households, is a diverse and active one. It's an interesting community because it's very varied and it's open to new ideas. It's a small community and it has people have passionate views and they go both ways. And like any community, it can be really hard then to get a consensus about what we should do. And even after you've had a consensus, people still persist with their views. And that's one of the nice things about it, is that people have strong views and and they they do something about them. And that, I think, is the key thing about it, is that people don't just sort of think about doing doing something, they actually do it. I mean, that's one of the things that the BRCT focuses on, is being effective and doing things rather than just talking about it. What would you do if, if we had another flood? Would we have a plan to deal with it? But in the long term, what about energy resilience? What about the fact that we can't continue to use resources the way that we have. Should we consider continuing to live on the flat down there? I mean, those are hard questions, and it's not clear that there are any obvious answers, but you should be starting to think about it anyway. So the word conversation is almost a bit overused, but in this case it's true. So there has been a conversation, there has been a discussion that's ongoing? There is. um, Sometimes these are uncomfortable discussions or conversations, and people don't want to have them. So that's part of what the Trust's role is, is to try and encourage, in a relatively non-threatening way, to start thinking about some of those difficult things. I have a real interest in the idea of sort of local democracy, that decisions being should be made at the right place. 
it's often obvious what that should be. It's often also true that <laughs> that's not where the decisions do get made. And that's what this is about, is, 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 is encouraging a sort of an ethos of making local decisions. Anthony Deeker is another long-time resident and past trustee of the Blueskin Resilient Communities Trust. I ask how he came to be involved in the trust, and in particular in its spin-off, the Blueskin Energy Project, managed by Scott Willis. Playground conversations. Everyone in Waitati meets at the playground after school to collect kids, and then the parents end up talking while the kids charge around. And that led to quite a few uh, kitchen table conversations with Scott. And, well, this is going back a few years, I was able to help Scott in my formal capacity with mentoring around developing what became the BRCT as a formal trust structure, and then we looked for funding, and then we looked for an office, and we just evolved the project forward into something that has become what it is now. What was your interest in it, or what did you think it ought to do back at the beginning? I love the idea of independence and responsibility that comes with that independence for us as a community and for our family as a whole. And it was one of the things we talked about early on in the project was about energy literacy and about all of us becoming more informed and empowered to discuss those things openly. So it's become that's one of the spin-offs that I'm thinking about, that it's it's made it normal for us all to, to discuss that and share ideas. When we moved into Waitati, the most popular topic was your septic tank <laughs> or your long drop. And um, so talking shit is literally one of the main topics out there. Um, but I think it's probably now running first equal with energy and electricity. That electricity that everyone is talking about is the plan by community-owned Blueskin Energy to build three wind turbines. Craig Marshall again. It's a big issue, and yet it's also a local issue. So energy resilience, the, the idea that we can't continue to burn fossil fuels, there's all sorts of reasons that they won't be there forever, and that by burning them we are creating serious problems. I mean, we're not really discussing whether there's climate change is occurring. We can see that it is. This is the next step, which is it's one thing to say, this is terrible, this is bad. It's harder to think about what you might do instead. And we've picked on the wind project or, or an energy project, primarily it's the wind project, as a way of showing that local communities can make a difference, that it is possible to set up and finance and run such a thing, to generate energy locally. And in, in many respects, actually generating the energy is easy because that's a technical problem and you can, you can get information about that. In the end, you can buy the stuff and you can put it up. It's just money that you need for that. What's much harder is to figure out how you're going to make this work in a community. So how do you control that? How do you ensure that the energy is, is provided in a way that benefits the community and rather than benefits some large organisation that has no real interest in you? To find out more about the proposed wind farm, it's time to head outside. I'm Scott Willis, the manager of the Blueskin Resilient Communities Trust, and I also project manage the Blueskin Energy Limited development. Now, this is a great day to be talking about wind turbines, Scott. It's incredibly <laughs> windy down here in Dunedin today. Where are we? So we're, we're just about at the top of Porteous Hill, and we can sort of see Waitati, Long Beach, 
Porakanui behind us. Through the rain. Through the rain. And, and the Dunedin's wind. over the hill. Dunedin's over the hill, that's right. And in front we've got Merton down here. And if we, if we could see over the, over the brow, we'd see Seacliff just along there. And what's that structure standing in front of us at the top of the hill? So that's our 30-metre testing tower. That's sitting very close to where one of the proposed turbine sites will be. So there's, there's going to be three turbines up here. And that's sitting just under where it would be. And that's giving us good real-time data. So how long has it been in for? Uh, let's see, we put that up in February 2013. There was a 10-metre tower here from May 2011, and we took that down late last year because it was redundant, and it was sitting right on a spot where we were going to put a turbine. And so clearly this trial with these little wind measurement devices have shown you that there is enough wind here to make it worthwhile putting wind turbines here. Yes, yes. I mean, that's the crucial thing. To build a development that is going to guarantee energy, electricity and income, to build a business case, we have to have good confidence in the wind data and that we can predict that there will be good wind into the future. So now that we're in 2015, we've been testing since 2011, we've got a lot of data. We've got a lot of data that is about the quality of the wind, not just the amount of wind. OK, well, let's walk a little closer, through, stepping through the cowpats, because this is a, going to be a wind turbine site on a working farm. That's right, and that, it'll take up something like uh, 28 square metres of land. So Which is hardly anything. It's really not gonna, going to reduce the number of cattle that can graze this bit of the farm. So the good thing is the wind turbines can do their thing, the farmer can continue grazing stock around underneath. That's right. This is one of the magical things, I think, about wind. Although it's a costly development because you've got to build something up front, it enables everything else to keep on going all around it and it doesn't cost through its lifetime because the wind is free, of course, so we've just got to get it built. Now, one of the things that fascinates me about this project is that you hear a lot about NIMBY, not in my backyard. This is the complete reverse of this, isn't it? This is very much about, yes, we actually want it in our backyard. Yes, well, we actually want it in our front yard. That's, <laughs> you know, we were surprised many years ago. There was a, a student doing some research into small wind, and, and he asked the question in, in uh, Blueskin, what, what would you say about wind turbines in your environment? And he got a, I would hate them, I really wouldn't like them if they're owned by a big corporate. And I would love them, yes, I want to have them if they're owned by us. Ah. And so what we've realised and what people keep on telling us is that it's not wind per se that people disagree with, it's where the benefit flows and, and who gets who gets the return and who gets the advantage from local generation. And these wind turbines, the, the benefit, the advantage is going to come right back to the community, isn't it? Yes, the intention is, and we've locked it in through the constitution of the company that is a charitable company wholly owned by the Trust, that returns go back to be distributed into projects within the community to build greater resilience, help us uh, adapt to the challenges of climate change, and provide an income for community projects for the lifetime of the of the wind development, which you know they're a bit like forests. You plant them, and then you just keep on planting them, so you, they don't go away. <laughs> How tall are these turbines going to be? 
So we've, we've looked at turbines at different tower heights and currently we are considering 60 metre um, to hub height and then there's another 29 metres to blade tip. So in the world of wind turbines, is that a small, medium-sized or big turbine? It's some of the smallest you can get. What's the power output going to be from them? So currently we're looking at turbines that are 800 kilowatt or 850 kilowatt turbines. So we, we haven't selected the final turbine type. We're talking with several turbine manufacturers. We, uh, it's getting windier. <laughs> they'll be around the, the sub-megawatt turbines. And uh, if they were here, they would be spinning at great speed, I imagine, today. If they were here, they would be powering, we'd be, we'd be exporting well out of the community. The idea of having wind turbines in your front yard, the people over in places like Waitati and will be able to see those turbines. Yes, and we'll be able to tell when we're generating, when we should put the washing machine on, when, or when we should be heating our saunas. We have come over to the mast to see if we can measure the wind speed, but I can hardly stand <laughs> I know, this is a corker day for measuring wind speed. It's only 17 to 20 metres per second. 21.25. <laughs> oh. It's just getting windy. <laughs> oh, that's nasty. Should we just... um? Should we just go back down out of the wind and then we'll calculate what that is in kilometres an hour? Yeah, yeah, I think that'd be more pleasant, wouldn't it? Yes. <laughs> as well as producing electricity, the wind project fulfils other roles for the Blueskin Resilient Communities Trust. Anthony Deeker. I think it's got a symbolic role in terms of glue. It's not just the immediate community of Waitati where, where I live, but it's also our neighbouring villages up and down the, the coast there. So it brings all of those communities together in a in a different way that cuts across some of the geographical and social boundaries there. I mean that's from a source of, of pride and a source of identity with that sort of um, DIYing here on a large scale. How I see the project going into the future I can see it's going to generate income, giving us financial independence to be able to invest back into the community to achieve more resilience. And you say the wind project is symbolic, and by that do you mean that it's quite a good, tangible thing to be able to hold up and say, we've achieved this, look at that? Yes, that's right, it is. It's, it's highly tangible because it's visible. It's a, it's a real thing that will sit well on the edges of our bay, on top of the hill, and we will be able to look at it and remind ourselves of you know what has been achieved and and what that means for the community in terms of that ability to, to invest back in. So it's a visual symbol. So what kind of dialogues have you got going on with the wider community, with other small communities round about? Well, one of the, the relationships that I bring into the mix with BRCT is the, is the relationship with our runaka up at um, Karatani Katihurirapa, one of the, the Naitahu Papatipu Marae in our area. And so there's an ongoing dialogue there that I'm excited about because as we keep developing the two parties will come closer and closer together in terms of the active guardianship kaitiaki for the the area around blueskin so it's not just the ability to generate electricity that is of interest here it's the actual processes that bring the people the houses the communities closer together with a sense of shared commitment to their own environment and to their own well-being as communities which is where the real strong crossover with 
the runaka and the runaka role in our area is. Stepping back from the wind project for a moment, I'm curious about what resilience means to Blueskin Bay residents. BRCT Chair Craig Marshall. I'm not a fan of Donald Rumsfeld, but his analysis of known unknowns and unknown unknowns was actually quite useful, I thought. And, and to me, resilience is about converting the unknown unknowns into the known unknowns, to, to be aware of the risks that you face and to have considered how you might deal with them. You won't know when they're going to occur. You may not know if they will occur, but you, you do know they're possible. And you've started that thought about, what are we going to do if... And often once you've started on that, what are we going to do if it turns out that the solution to this problem is very similar to the solution to that problem. Anthony Deeker again. I like the idea of resilience from a, from a personal point of view, really, from um, understanding how I operate to, to come back from downtimes. You know, and our family has been lucky to pick up on, on what other families and some of our neighbours are doing around the way we can set ourselves up for a future that's likely that we're going to be more and more self-reliant. And my partner and I, we want to have a house that's low cost to live in. We want to pay our mortgage off. We want to be have the biggest gardens and the most fruit we can grow on site. And we want to have a good, simple life. You know, so that's... The idea of resilience for me, I'm not necessarily looking at Armageddon or doom and gloom scenarios. I'm thinking about as we get older and, and want to retire, it would be great to work less and live well, really. So setting ourselves up for that sort of a future is, is my idea of resilience because in the short term it's putting in place systems that can mitigate against an unforeseen circumstance as well. Blueskin Bay resident Charles Abraham works in the area of ethical investment by day and as the BRCT treasurer by night. It struck me that this was a wonderful opportunity for a community to become independent in its funding for all those small projects that normally you have to go to the various sports gaming foundations community trusts and not those projects don't always fit with with what the people with the checkbook want to give it out for so to me to to build this resilient community meant that you were able to accommodate all manner of groups that wouldn't normally be able to survive in in, in another type of non-funded environment. So where's the funding for this proposed little collection of wind turbines that will belong to the community? Where's that funding going to come from? There's a number of funding sources that we're looking at. The project is expected to cost around $6 million. And because we're doing it on a total shoestring, we're looking at a combination of a cornerstone shareholder putting in some capital from the crowdfunding sources that are out there, and we've been having initial talks with PledgeMe in this regard, and talking to 
what are sometimes called wealthy and experienced investors, and that's possibly where my role will will come in. So what does the word resilience mean to you? Resilient is is a community that is able to withstand the knocks that come along, so in, in the form of that might be environmental, but it also goes more than that. It's about knowing who in your community is at risk. A resilient community will have things that make people feel that they're going to stay there in the weekend because what they want to do is all there. Back up on Porteous Hill, Scott Willis and I moved down out of the teeth of the wind next to a thick shelter belt. We've beat a retreat <laughs> and now we have to work out what 21 metres per second is in kilometres an hour. So it's uh, 20 metres per second is 72 kilometres per hour winds currently. That's, you know, pretty good wind. It is pretty good wind. I, I thought it might be more than that, given <laughs> the difficulty we had staying up. So this is a bit of a long-term project. This is, it hasn't just happened overnight, has it? I mean, you're at the point where you're about to take it to market, and we'll get to that, but where have you come from? Really, we came from a, a community visioning workshop way back in 2006 when we, we were looking at climate change, peak oil, economic volatility, and what we could do as a community to, to take command of our future. And one of the things that came out of that was building energy resilience or greater sovereignty in terms of energy. So around um, ensuring our homes were well insulated, warm and cosy, uh, that we understood our energy environment and where our energy came from and where it went and what impact it had and, and to build renewable generation. And the most viable renewable generation at a community level is community wind for us in our environment. Are individuals in the community also doing solar? I know that your office, for instance, has solar on the roof. Yes, so we, so one of the outcomes from our community engagement process was that we learnt that a whole lot of people were interested in solar as well. So it's not either or, it's it's this and and that. And so we've been promoting solar and facilitating the uptake of solar and, and so there's been an exceptional uptake over the past 18 months of solar. So and that's people putting in solar and feeding back into the grid? Yes, so it's all, it's all grid connected solar. And it, the great thing about that is that solar is not particularly well suited to household energy demand but it's very good for business or for schools, people who are working in offices during the day and it marries particularly well with wind because often there'll be a nice still sunny day when the wind's not blowing or not blowing as much and we can boost it with, with solar. So what we've got to do is, is incrementally add in solar while building community wind and, and then we'll have a, a beautiful marriage between two renewable sources that are going to meet our energy needs. Janet Stevenson is with the Centre for Sustainability at the University of Otago. She's worked with the BRCT on a variety of projects and she's watching the growth of solar energy in the Blueskin Bay community with interest. Well, the photovoltaic story's been very interesting, actually, and I think what we're seeing in Blueskin is a microcosm of what we're also starting to see around New Zealand as well. Maybe two years ago, the Blueskin Resilient Communities Trust realised that, as well as the interest in wind power, there was also quite a, a lot of people talking about the potential for solar. 
And so although this trust itself was too busy to actually make anything happen of their own accord in the solar space, they did put out a call for people who might be interested in solar and within a very short period of time had 50 people on, on that list. And one of the things that, that we like to do as a, as a research unit is, is to support the community with research when we possibly can. And so some of the research we did was to actually go and talk to people about, about their interest in solar as well. And those kinds of conversations, I think, have helped cement some of the possibilities of resilience in that community more generally. Out of that interest, there were really, I think, two main offerings that were developed. One was for um, a company who had an arrangement with Bluskin Resilient Communities Trust to come in and actually have somebody working locally and to, to actually install solar on people's um, houses. But additionally, the community, through one of their enthusiastic and knowledgeable local people, um, took on the opportunity to import container loads of, of PV units as well and to um, help people install them on their own homes. So if people wanted to cut costs, they could actually put them on their own houses and, and people would work together to make that happen. So the outcome of that has been a, a real blossoming of solar um, installations within the Blueskin area. And that is really on the back of what we call the energy literacy of that community. And that is through all of the workshops, all of the talks, all of the events, all of the community engagement over the past six or seven years, that general community is very aware and knowledgeable about energy things. And so, and so when the opportunity for solar came up, the price was dropping quite rapidly at that point and it's continuing to drop. There was this sort of magic point at which suddenly uptake was possible and there was and is a continuing stream of uptake across households in that area. Blueskin, as of September 2014, um, 23 of the 35 PV connections within the Otago Net Lines Network, that is the, the company who looks after all the electricity lines, were in the Blueskin area. So that is only 6% of the network connections, but 70% of the installed DG capacity, so installed capacity of, of distributed generation. So you can see from that, it's actually quite a considerable growth in that small area. You talk about energy literacy. Do you think New Zealanders as a whole are very energy literate? I think they're becoming more so. The reason I'm saying that is what in, in some of our other research, one of the things we're, we're doing is, is looking at New Zealanders' uptake of PV, that is photovoltaics on, on roofs where people generate their own power, is really taking off in New Zealand at the moment. And then we've got some, a graph here that I'll, I'll just show you. It starts in 2003. So it's pretty much a, a straight-line graph with nothing happening uh, right through until about uh, 2012, and then the curve starts picking up. And after that, it turns into one of these wonderful J-curves where the, the, the uptake just continues. And Exponential, I think exponential. they described it. Yes, exactly, <laughs> yes. I just checked just before our, our talk, actually, and, and there's about... 5,700 installations across New Zealand of PV right now, um, and it's continuing to grow at, at pretty much the same rate. Um, and what that is suggesting to me is, and it's borne out by our research, is that New Zealanders have a real interest in energy independence, and that is having a reasonably high degree of control over price and over having to have a relationship with a power company. And so where there are opportunities to, to not be fully reliant on the grid, New Zealanders are very much aware of those possibilities and taking them up. Um, and so this J-curve isn't just happening in Waitati, it's happening to probably a lesser extent, but, but also elsewhere across New Zealand. And it's, it's very interesting and it is potentially has some quite significant implications eventually for New Zealand's power system. 
Do you think the blueskin model is a useful model for other communities? I think it's a great model because it's a very, very much a bottom-up model and it's one which is created by a huge degree of very careful engagement, lots of conversations, lots of um, work around where might we go as a whole, as a community, recognising these differences within that community, different aspirations, different needs, but at the same time having some bigger vision of doing something that's good for the community and ultimately also good for the planet and the climate. And there are other communities starting to do similar things, and, and um, we've got links with, with Otaki community, which is in the Kapiti Coast area, who are on not the same journey, but a similar journey around, around energy and the potential for a higher degree of energy independence than they have currently. There's a word for this, prosumer. This is a word put together from consumer and producer. Because traditionally, if you think about how New Zealand's electricity system has worked, the major power companies have been the producers and people in their homes have been the consumers. And this has been a sort of a, a one-way pipe from the producers to the consumers. And what PV and also local wind, community-based wind turbines can offer is actually a new model, which is this of being, being both the producer and the consumer of, of electricity, so the prosumer. So does the Blueskin Resilient Communities Trust feel that their wind project is leading the way in New Zealand? Ross Johnston again. There's a lot of interest around the country because many communities want to follow in our footsteps. There are places up and down the country that are suddenly saying, well, we'd like to be more self-sufficient. We don't want to be lost when everything comes unstuck or if everything comes unstuck. But even so, we'd like to be in a position to be able to support ourselves as best we can. So you've got no one to follow. You're, you are creating a template. Yes, we are. I mean, that's been really difficult. I mean, this, is, this has been a 10-year job, and now we're tantalisingly close. But in reality, this has only come about because a succession of trusts and trustees have just pushed it that one step further and another step further and another step further. And after, what, nine years now, we're almost in a position to say, we think we've got it right. Back to Scott Willis. We have been going through this project with the community for years now. Everybody knows what it's about. They know the scale of it. There'll always be someone who's unhappy with it, but it's got such a, a, a good impact for the community and we can't find any adverse impact except for the perception of visual impact that we can't change. If somebody doesn't like what a wind turbine looks like, they don't like what a wind turbine looks like. I can't help but thinking, though, that a highly modified landscape like a farm and close to where people actually need to use power, so Blueskin Bay and Dunedin, that's a great place for a wind turbine. Most people that we've spoken to and most people who have responded to surveys love the idea of wind in our landscape. There are some places that they'd prefer it not to be, but ultimately having our own energy source in our own environment makes sense. It's acting responsibly and taking charge of our own energy needs. And that's, people understand that. They understand that you're having a trade-off here and this is a pretty good trade-off. I mean, you get a piece of kinetic sculpture on your skyline, it's wonderful. So do you think this is going to have, it will only ever be a small part, but a significant part of a changing energy landscape in New Zealand? Definitely, definitely, because we've got...
Well, some people say to us that, you know, what's the point? There's, we're already 70% renewable generation in New Zealand. That's true. And we're also 30% thermal generation for electricity. Thermal generation we can't afford to burn. So, so what we're seeing with this is that we're, this is a small, small um, increase in renewable generation. We've got Flat Hill going in at the moment down near Bluff. Pioneer Generation's newest development. That is also going to eat away at the thermal generation. So the more th renewables we put in, the reduced amount of thermal generation that's needed and the less economic that thermal generation is. So it is going to reduce our emissions long term as we see more, more projects going ahead. Now, and perhaps even as well, instead of having to invest in big renewable energy projects, you can just have a whole lot of smaller energy projects that have the same impact. If we can build generation close to consumption, we don't run the risk of transmission failure and we have, we have a, a more efficient delivery of electricity to where it's needed. So this is, a, this is a model about building distributed generation and a more resilient national grid as much as anything else. And it's got to start somewhere. It's got to start with a small-scale generation. I know TransPower have um, been progressing the enduring grid strategy, which is about building a bigger, stronger main trunk line. What we're doing here is moving off the trunk line and we're building small-scale generation at those, at those small stations. And the benefit to the local community? BRCT Chair Craig Marshall. We initially thought about selling the electricity locally. That turns out to be a hard problem because you've got to manage it, you've got to buy the access to the grid, there's all this sort of thing. So at the moment our plan is that we will sell that energy, energy and we're going to try and sell it locally. I mean, we've got a number of people interested in that. But that the money from that will then be used within the community to do things. And we've been doing some planning exercises to think about that because whilst being poor is hard and not having many resources is difficult, and that's the trust's position for a long time, it's likely that having money is actually going to be more difficult because... Spending it wisely is, is much harder than budgeting carefully. So we have come to the conclusion that rather than just simply buying things or doing things, that we try to use that money to catalyse other initiatives. So people who have other ideas that need some, some kind of resources, it might be money to start up or it might simply be coordination, but whatever, to get past that, that's a good idea to we are actually doing this or at least to investigate whether that could be done. The other part of the energy project involves, for example, photovoltaic systems. So there's a big uptake in the Blueskin Bay area of PV. And then other things like providing firewood for locals. That provides local employment um, and it uses a local resource. Anthony Deeker. In our part of the, the community, there's been improvements on lots of fronts. The insulation and the way we use energy in the home, the way we're talking about generating and networking, our homes in our area, taking advantage of some of the smart technology that's emerging for a network, how we better manage poos, and there's been the gardening and there's been the orchards and um, in a carpooling network and the sports thing, that's the other thing as the parent of lots of kids, the blimmin' hassle of having to drive in and out of town to go to the, the covered sports grounds how can we organise sports better at home so our kids are doing team games, getting some of that competitive thing out of their system and, um, and we're not driving in and out of town all the time. 
the Blueskin Bay community is a very diverse one, ranging from alternative lifestylers to commuting professionals. Charles Abraham again. So you might not share all of the same motivations as your neighbours, but you all have managed to, to still come together and go, there are things that we have in common, let's work together towards them. That's exactly it. And it is to, to build that sense of, of a community where, where neighbours know each other, will help each other, will share our resources. And yes, it may come to some of the grand plans of shared vehicles, around public transport, we have the, the vegetable gardens that that work together, the fruit gardens that work together, and these are all the things that absolutely delight me because they are the threads, the backbone of, of, a, of a strong community. Some of the issues that the community are grappling with are tricky long-term ones, such as climate change and rising sea levels, which will have a significant impact on many low-lying homes. This is not about what can we do for the next five years. This is what can we do for the next 50, 100, 200 years almost. Oh, yeah. I will be long gone before this really pays off big time. In 20 years' time, I think we will be on a phenomenal winner for our communities. That was Ross Johnston. And you also heard Scott Willis, Anthony Deeker, Charles Abraham and Craig Marshall, who are all involved in the Blueskin Resilient Communities Trust. Janet Stevenson is with the Centre for Sustainability at the University of Otago. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, you can find more stories on our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash Our Changing World. Matewa. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.